0: Log Talk Radio Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the 593rd edition of the Feuerstein's Fire American Soccer Show. I'm your host, Daniel Feuerstein. I'll give you American perspective of our clubs, leagues, players, national team, and other fabulous moments. Get your daily reading from me and other writers over at both Red Bull News Network and, of course, BeyondThe90 at Substack.com. Uh, but as always, this show is dedicated to the American game to everyone out there in the United States. Chat room is open. Come on in, discuss amongst yourselves if you like. If you have a question for me, I'll try to answer it to the best of my abilities. Well, ladies and gentlemen, very, very soon, after these next two matches in league play in Major League Soccer, we will begin the League's Cup. That is where our clubs and major leagues in Major League in United States and Canada will be taking on the top division of Liga MX in Mexico. And as great of a opportunity that Don Garber thinks it's going to be, I can tell you right now, sadly, that it is a waste of time. It is just a waste of time to have these games being played and interfering in Major League Soccer business. Oh, but I'm sorry, this is Major League Soccer business because it's what Don Garber wants. And while okay, it somewhat does work for some of the fans, for the other fans, it does not. Where in the world have you ever seen the Brasileiro take a break from their active league season to join forces with Argentina's first division and play games with them on a league-wide notice. Nothing. The Germans versus the English World War II Cup, you want to call it. You will never see Bayern Munich take on Manchester City on that level. It will never happen. The fascination of El Clásico has to be involved only and only when clubs from Major League Soccer and clubs from Liga MX officially meet each other when it is involving CONCACAF. That's right, the CONCACAF Champions Cup. In my mind, this entire situation is a waste of time. It is sadly a waste of time and effort that has been put into this because basically it's Superliga times two. And unfortunately, CONCACAF forcing themselves to give three spots, one for the round of 16 for the League Cup champion. And two spots in the first round for the runners-up in the final, as well as the third-place winner. This is a travesty that we are seeing in front of our eyes. Where is the sporting merit in this? Nowhere. And because of what we are seeing with Superliga right now, oh, excuse me, I'm sorry, Leagues Cup, Leagues Cup. Let me just make sure I say that correctly to all the suits and MLS HQ in Manhattan. Um, What you have seen this season has been a complete sham and a mockery of the game in our country. Because now, what you have seen, you have seen U.S. soccer being forced to schedule second-round proper and third-round proper matches during competition windows during, at the time, the CONCACAF Champions League. So, when you have during the same week the first leg of the quarterfinals you have second round matches of the Open Cup when you have first leg of the semifinals of the Champions League you had third round of the Open Cup and for those of us in this podcasting business live streaming show business, you know, I only have two hours, up to two hours, to give you shows that you guys care about. Because I don't want to do two tournaments into one because then it ruins it. I have to do two separate shows on a Friday to review whichever leg of whatever round it is in the Champions Cup now. And then I have to not do a regular 40 Scenes Fire show and concentrate on give you cup review shows on a Monday, not during the weekend. And for me, and I understand I'm probably the only one complaining about it, but the truth is, debts is what I have to do to produce this show for all of you. You know, it's not that easy to get guests, especially when you're trying to get guests on clubs, whether it be on the professional levels below Major League Soccer or the amateur teams or the semi-amateur teams or the semi-pro teams, to get their head coaches or players on the show to make sure that they get their 15 minutes of fame. Because I want them to feel that they are important. Because they all are. Everyone's important. So this is what bothers me. And it's just despicable to see what's been going on. So all I can say is is that forcing themselves, Major League Soccer forcing themselves to, you know, take a month off, take a month off, off of their calendar and forcing Liga MX to join in on this and taking a month away out of their calendar to play these games to play these extra games and not have it during a regular MLS season. That's why we've had so many other midweek games. It is a complete sham of what MLS is doing at, at the same time This also goes to show you how powerless the U.S. Soccer Federation truly is. Because whatever Don Garber wants, Don Garber gets. Now, let me just say this. I am giving Don Garber complete credit for how he has built Major League Soccer, since taking over for Doug Logan after the first two to three seasons when he opened up the league as the commissioner of the league. I give Don Garber credit. You have to give him credit for what he has done. But you can only go so far. And the truth is, the only way Garber will no longer be commissioner of major league soccer is either someone takes it away from him or he's going to step down himself and say, I'm, I've done all I can because right now, what type of situation are we going to have here? And when you have LAFC and they took priority in the CONCACAF Champions League at that time. And I don't blame them for putting their academy kids into these games in the Open Cup. Look, they defeated Montserrat Bay. Good for them. They lost to the Galaxy. Understandable. But the truth is this. And no offense to those academy kids, they should never have been playing in these Open Cup games. The reservists should have been the ones to play in these Open Cup games, to give them the opportunity. Once again, I am not faulting Steve Terundolo for this. I am not faulting the front office of LAFC. No, I am not. I am faulting Commissioner Don Garber for forcing LAFC to pull this on all of us. I am forced, I I am blaming him for this. Because Liga MX being thrown into this is, is wrong. All they should worry about is their seasons. We should worry about our season and that's it. Did you know that Liga MX tried to sell League's Cup to all of the different sports channels in Mexico so that it wouldn't be on the season pass in Mexico by Apple? And you know what happened? All of those channels, those sports channels in Mexico, they said no. We don't want it. And that's an article in World Soccer Talk. The sports channels in Mexico to cover League's Cup said we don't want a part of this. We don't want anything to do with this. So then what happened? Well, MLS season pass in Mexico will now show the games, which I have kind of figured that's what was going to happen anyway. This is a joke. This is a big time joke. And it it's just really really bothersome to see this happen. Obviously Univision is going to take care of it because they the truth is I don't even know if any fans of these clubs in Mexico are going to care about this. I don't even know if they do care about it. I bet you the the the, uh, the, the ones who live here in the United States, they're going to talk a lot of crap about it because they want to stick it into the faces of every club in MLS, whether it be in the United States or, 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 or over the northern border in Canada. They want to do that. Listen, Don, worry about MLS and that's it. Do not make MLS into League, U.S. Soccer Federation and CONCACAF all into one. That is not your job. Your job is to worry about the game in this country. Your job is to worry about the clubs, what they do, how they do, and when it's going to happen. That is all you need to worry about, Don. That is all you need to worry about. Worry about MLS. And if you can just worry about MLS and not tinker with anything else, everything will be just fine. But once again, all I'm telling you is this, Don. Please end it now before it really gets worse down the road. Have it this year. Get rid of it and get back to normal. That's all I'm asking. Great show for you tonight, ladies and gentlemen. Um, unfortunately, we have to talk about this. And yes, this happened north of the border, as we all have heard um, through social media. The Canadian Soccer Association, out of nowhere, is going to attempt to file bankruptcy.
1: And
0: I, I don't know how this has happened. How, why it happened, but we're going to talk to my uh, colleague in Toronto, of course, Dwayne Rollins, 24th Minute Blog, joining me right now tonight. Dwayne, good evening. And, um, you know, when I heard the news that the Canadian Soccer Association all of a sudden came out of left field to say we are filing for bankruptcy, out of all the positives that have come from the John Herdman era, up to this point with Nations League and the Gold Cup, uh, you know, this situation just, it stung me, and I feel bad not only for you, but for every Canadian who supports this game in Canada.
2: Well, it's not a done deal, though. Like, they said that they might have to file for bankruptcy, is is what was said. So, you know, this is far from done. Um, in fact, there's a lot of speculation that, that this is a public play to try and um, guilt, I guess, a government level of government to support the program a little bit more. Uh, obviously, it all stems from the deal they have uh, with uh, the Canadian soccer business, which is kind of, to your American listeners, they will be familiar with the S.U.M., the S.U.M. Uh, marketing, it's the same thing. So, you know, a Canadian equivalent of that. However, the deal that they that they have in place limits the amount of revenue that they can bring in to to quite a minimal amount. It's about 2 million a year, a little less. So 2 million Canadian a year is a little less. And obviously with the men making the world cup, they, they, they lost a lot of potential income there that instead went to the CSB. Uh, CSB that is primarily made up just like some is in, in, in the United States. It's made up of the owners of the Canadian Premier League teams. Uh, so it, Kind of went back to sort of keep that league afloat, so it's kind of a complicated issue in terms of the funding stuff uh Justin devos, who's the interim president up here, uh both the president and the, the the elected president and the uh, executive director resigned uh recently. This is over the, the issues that they're having around c s b so it's it's taken down our political leadership anyway the Jason devos is the interim president he he was the one that said that the that they may have to file and you know, the, the financial situation is pretty bad. Uh, they're also, in terms of what this is, means, you know, if you look at the Canadian women uh, preparing for World Cup in Australia right now, uh, they only played something like two friendlies in the lead-up to this uh, outside of the, of the um Leafs Cup. Uh, they're playing a closed-door friendly tomorrow. But, you know, by and large, they had to wait until they were down in Australia before they could get together. You look at the, the men, they're talking about not being able to play friendlies in the fall. So even if this doesn't come to a bankruptcy filing, if they don't get an influence of money somewhere, and without the ability of changing the CSB deal, that 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 somewhere pretty much is a grant of some kind or some kind of charity that comes in, uh, then then yeah, they're looking at some severe restrictions on how they can properly prepare, um, which makes it you know doubly important for, for the candidate to to qualify for. For things like the next year's Copa america you know it's a self-perpetuating thing we're right like they may not get the preparation to do it properly but they if they don't then they're they're really screwed so yeah it, it's a not ideal um not a mess it's a mess but i think there's a lot more dominoes to fall before we know exactly where where this thing's going to go
0: so you would say at the moment they're okay but there is a possibility of another pitfall happening um If something, as you say, if a domino falls here and there, then they're in really big trouble. Well, okay is a strong way to put it, but uh, they're not not
2: actively in a, in a bankrupt uh, bankruptcy filing situation at the moment. No, they're, they they ruminated out loud. Jason DeVos did that they may have to. Uh, Again, I I think that's a pressure point that he's trying to put on uh, trying to to play the political game uh, to get some money from, from Ottawa uh, to fund this. Now, that gets complicated too. I don't want to put too many, you know, issues up here. But there's obviously uh, some allegations around the, the sexual, sexual stuff that, that came out, you know, in Vancouver before the CSA's involved there. One of their coaches at the under 20 level was, you know, has now been convicted of sexual assault. So, you know, there, there's some political belief that that they're not to be trusted. <laughs> the CSA is not to be trusted with money. So to try and get some funding is going to be difficult. It's incumbent upon the new leadership, Charmaine Cooks, uh, who was elected the president uh, in the election this year. She's a former Olympian here in Canada, uh,
1: while
2: well respected, was involved in um, the IOC at a high level for a long time. Incumbent upon her to sort of work the back channels and get some trust because they, they need an influence of uh, funding in some way. Otherwise, the you know, this is going to suffer. Uh, they are going to have to make some tough decisions. It may include bankruptcy, although I, I think it's more likely that it just includes them stripping it down to the bones and only playing games that are scheduled by, you know, for qualifiers. And that's, you know, the irony is, of course, that Canada is qualified to not play in the Nations League uh, preliminaries. They, they get the straight buy, but they may not have the money to actually play in the friendlies that, that they're supposed to be allowed to be, you know, taking part in. They hold the whole idea there was so that they get an opportunity to maybe test themselves against a the bigger team, but if they don't have the money, they, they're just going to be sitting at home rather than playing anyone.
0: Um, my question to you is this, would that mean um, Gianni Infantino, FIFA president, would have to step into this situation if it was that dire? And uh, what do you think uh, FIFA would do if Canada's is not able to get the funds that they need to have at least friendlies being played, getting ready for these uh, Copa America qualifiers through the Nations League and, and so on?
2: Well, I doubt FIFA would get in. Well, um... I mean, there may be some pressure because of the co-hosting situation to, to properly prepare and, and, and you know be ready to compete at the top level. Now, you know, the, we do here in Canada have the, the blessing of some, some highly talented players uh, that can paint over a lot of these cracks. You know, Alphonso Davies on his own can make up for a lot of problems, right? But but it's it, it's certainly not not great. No, I. I <laughs> I think ultimately that there will be some kind of deal struck here. The other place that, that Jason DeVos may have been putting pressure on is the, the owners of the same Premier League teams, the CSB owners to to get them to renegotiate the deal, to allow the CSA to maintain some of its revenues. Uh, they have been able to attract a lot more sponsors in the past few years. That's both from the women's great success at the Olympics and and for the men qualifying for a World Cup, there, there are a more attractive policy. Full disclosure, I work for a company that is an official sponsor of the Canadian Soccer Association, so I'm familiar with with a bit of the workings of how those sponsorship deals do. I can't really say more than that for obvious reasons, because I work for them. But I can tell you that there is money getting invested in this sport, and, and it, it's You know, several companies, big companies, companies that are involved with, you know, other big name sports properties are looking at Canadian soccer in the same way that they look at a, you know, a Toronto Maple Leafs or a, or a Canadian football league team or, or the Toronto Blue Jays or whatever. They're, they're looking at them in that same capacity and there's some more money coming in. But unfortunately, because of the CSB deal, there's a restriction, there's a ceiling to, they can't go above. And and, and I think that ideally what they would love is to have. CSB recognized that the circumstances that were in place when they signed this deal, which were back in 2018, are much different than they are now in 2023. They still need to protect the league. The league is very important to the long-term health of the sport here. And just like some in the States in the early days of MLS, it, it, it's, it's vital to the to the survival of the league, really, to have the revenues guaranteed there. But those owners have to realize that the Canadian national team and its success will, will trickle down to them to, you know, attract more attention to the game and, and create a stronger, you know, pyramid all around that they that they then can take advantage of themselves. So that there is, a, you know, a reason for them to to maybe look at this in their own self interest and, and give away for the CSA to to get more money, to get more revenue, to take advantage of the, the increased attention that it, that it does have
0: now. I can go back to what you said, uh, going to Ottawa, and obviously that is the capital of the country. Um, what would happen if uh, the, the CSA would have to go to the prime minister and uh, Justin Trudeau to get the possibly the necessary funds to keep uh, the association afloat uh, to make sure that, you know, there's a safety net, and then they can try and do some form of, um, cra- you know, uh, fundraising of some sort to keep to keep the the CSA floating uh, beyond whatever. Hopefully, uh, Trudeau can give whatever funds uh, from the government to keep uh, uh, the CSA afloat as much as possible.
2: Uh, I think you're asking whether there's the a political will to to follow through and give them some more money. And, and the the thing I'll say to that is that. We are facing an election in about 18 months here. Um, our elections aren't set in stone in the same way as they are down there, but there, it's about 18 months from now that you will be having an election up here. The Trudeau government is currently trailing in the polls. Um, there's some staleness to, to that. I don't want to get into the politics of it, but, but they may be looking for ways to curry favor in, in certain markets, so, so I could see them in that pre-election kind of spending mode, uh, particularly with the World Cup coming. I don't think it's, it's far-fetched that there might be some increase in funding, uh, some ability to, to generate some money that can be justified in, in the 2026 co-hosting sort of uh, way. Uh, but I wouldn't expect that this will be a cure-all. Like The, the King government is not really, in the, historically speaking, doesn't really just dump millions and millions and millions of dollars on, on what they would call amateur sport, uh, particularly in this case, when the players involved aren't really that amateur. Now they might be um, – more inclined to um, make whole uh, the the female players in some capacity, particularly if they, they, with some belief and some sincere uh, understanding that that there might be a problem in in maintaining gender equality, which needs to happen, of course. uh, So they might be more willing on that level. Uh, So I can see them getting some money is what I'm saying is, is the short line, but they do have to figure the whole, thing out and that includes trying to get some control the csb contract back very complicated daniel because if they were to rip that agreement up that would put the canadian soccer league in serious sorry, canadian premier league pardon me um uh, in in serious peril it really would uh you know if you could imagine it had sum been ripped up you know in 2003 or whatever um that might have still been an at MLS and we're kind of in the same situation up here right now and in regards to where the Canadian Premier League is in its health. So, so yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of balls in the air here and it's complicated. Um, as I said, there's the, the fortunate thing is there is some talent, um, you know, amongst the, the top 11 or 12 or 15 players that Canada has, that there's probably enough skill there to, they can, see themselves through and and be competitive in 2026, even without the amount of funding you'd like. But if they were to truly succeed and push forward to potentially get out of the group in 2026, potentially maybe even win a a knockout game in 2026, you would really have to have a much better preparation than it currently looks like they're they're going to get. And and that's to say nothing of the possibility of, of people walking away from the program, people like John Herbman, um, that priestman on the women's side, like dude, these are, are, are people that are highly involved and important to the program that, that might, you know, feel that they're not getting the support they have. John Herbin's already made some kind of hints that, that he might not be able to stay, uh, you know, John talks a lot. So, so we'll see how serious he is with that. But, but, uh, you know, there's all, all, everything's on the table when it comes to this and, you know, did we see it coming? I don't think anyone knew that the financial situation was as mismanaged as it was, um, but those of us that were in the know knew that there wasn't as much money in it as people thought. And when there were promises made that needed to be made, it, it was unclear to a lot of us. And when I make that, I'm referencing gender equality makeups or make holes. It was unclear to us where they were going to find that. Cash. They don't have the same revenue sources that the USSF does. Uh, we understand they need to do it, but it, it became complicated to, to figure out how. So so that's where we're at. You know, it, it does put a damper on things. It does make it difficult to, to get excited in the same way that we did on March 27, you know, 2022. Um, sorry, yeah, March 27, 2023, the day they qualified. They, they, that was a high water watermark, and it's been pretty frustrating since. Not great results on the field. A poor World Cup, I think it's fair to say. Um, did whatever they did in the bed against the U.S. in the final in the, in the Nations League. Played better in the quarterfinals of uh, of the Gold Cup against the U.S., but ultimately fell in penalties there. And, and really, they shouldn't have been playing in the U.S. better earlier. They should have won that group with ease. So it's been disappointing on the pitch. And then you have this to deal with as well. And it's hard to see, see how how they get past that. And, you know, then we have a Women's World Cup coming up when – they don't seem to be firing in all cylinders right now, either. We'll see how that plays out over the next few weeks. but right now, if you were to to ask me i wouldn't um I wouldn't expect much so there's where I, there there's where it is It's kind of back to normal uh you know it, it, the hope is of course that they they do to get something figured out because there is some talent there. the Kane Premier League has produced some players is at a higher level than we thought it might be than certainly I thought it would be. And there's potential here. There always is. There's always problems here, too. And we'll just talk about another one. The day that ends in Y.
0: Unfortunately so. But I'm really uh, rooting for you and every other Canadian uh, fan and uh, media member that uh, this situation will not get any further uh, down in the dumps. And uh, I am always rooting for Canada to be – like I said, I, I think now the north zone is a lock. I think the north zone in this uh, confederation, uh, Canada finally locked it up. And, you know, it's because of MLS and it's because of the Canadian Premier League and some of your players playing abroad. uh, The program is getting better. Dwayne, thanks as always for joining on and hope to have you back on again soon. And uh, I'll talk to you later, my friend. Dwayne Rollins, 24th Minute Blog, as we talk about the Canadian Soccer Association's Financial situation, that is not good. Joining me right now from World Soccer Talk and, of course, Beyond the 90 at Substack.com, it is Karthik Krishnar. And um, Karthik, obviously, uh, listening to what Dwayne Rollins has said about this situation with the Canadian Association, I just feel for every Canadian soccer fan out there that, unfortunately, um, there's just not enough cash to, you know, to keep somewhat afloat. They're doing all right at the moment, but there are dangers. And, you know, I I wanted your opinion about this through a U.S. soccer perspective. Let's just say for the heck of it, what if U.S. soccer was in this position that Canada soccer all of a sudden has put themselves in this position? What do you think it would be like if all of a sudden you would hear out of the blue, well, the U.S. is hosting the next World Cup? obviously in about a little less than three years, right, about now. And then all of a sudden, a bombshell comes out saying, we don't have the money uh, for the next couple of years to do this and to do that, and yet we're hosting the World Cup.
1: That would be a shock. I mean, I, I think that the, the, the reality of the situation here is that um, there are tight budgets in running federations. And the reason the U.S. has been okay has been because they've been able to host host tournaments over the course of the last uh several years that have made money back for them but it's not a sure thing right and federations run on tight margins the canadian federation for years poorly run uh, victor montagliani i think has gotten a lot of credit for maybe um turning that thing around that situation around for canada soccer Um, But in my opinion, uh, it is a possibility if you don't host tournaments, if you don't have streams of revenue, because federations don't necessarily have that. And this is why you see battles between federations and leagues. um, Something like that could happen in time.
0: You know, we're lucky right now here in the United States because once every two years, this country hosts the Gold Cup from CONCACAF. There is no rotation. You make uh, this year, lucky that Canada gets a home game uh, in Toronto against Guadalupe, Uh, Mexico. They don't go to Honduras. They don't go to Costa Rica. You know, they have their CONCACAF has their stingent stadium policy. The way that of course they use not only, the soccer stadiums in this country now, but the NFL stadiums when there is no NFL season during the summertime. So, I mean, the big question is this, if we didn't have these tournaments coming, and now, of course, next summer, the Copa America is coming because Ecuador gave up their hosting privileges because of their turmoil right now in their government. uh, You know, we can say that we're very lucky that we're getting all this money or U.S. soccer is getting all this money to host tournaments and maybe down the road uh, the possibility of the Olympics.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think that that's a, that's a pretty big deal when you think about it because you're looking at um, the fact... And I, actually, I don't know how the Olympics would work uh, in terms of, of revenue uh, for, for the federation, just the USOC, which is in theory an umbrella organization of U.S. soccer, just by the way the legislation um, in Congress was offered. But um, you do have the Copa America in 2016 as a, uh, as a reference point because U.S. soccer's margins were kind of tight um, to that point. And then they hosted the Copa in 2016, and that left a huge surplus. And it was a surplus that um, that many of us thought maybe could be used to help fund grassroots football, uh, you know, a, a soccer in the streets. You know, maybe help with the adult amateur game, youth development. And then we promptly didn't qualify for the uh, for the 2018 World Cup, uh, men's World Cup, and we had um, a number of lawsuits, NASL lawsuit, the. Uh, Relevant sports lawsuits, the uh, women's national team lawsuit, the U.S. Soccer Foundation lawsuit—four major lawsuits against the against the U.S. Soccer federation where they effectively squandered that surplus that they had, they had that they hit stockpile um, on law, on lawyers' fees, on legal fees. But they were in that position because we hosted the Copa in 2016. So we're going to come out of 2024 in a very healthy spot. But there is a scenario, Daniel, where if The U.S. had not hosted the 2016 Copa America, which, remember, was a special tournament, was a special um, joint CONCACAF CONNIVAL tournament in which um, uh, there were special provisions made. There had been a tournament in 2015, which Chile had won. They came and won this tournament, too, in 2016. Um, Let's say that had not happened, and we didn't qualify for the 2018 World Cup. You still had the four lawsuits that I mentioned, and Uh, you had a scenario where um, one or two other things went wrong, it is possible U.S. soccer would have been in in, in a similar financial position. Now, there is something that U.S. soccer, another thing U.S. soccer has going for it is that they collect um, 15% of the gate from every friendly that's hosted on U.S. soil, which um, mass promoters hate. And I know a lot of the, the, the international clubs that come here hate. But, it's another source of revenue that has kept them from, from, from um, becoming insolvent. But one, one last point I'm going to make about this, Daniel, because I have been very critical of the past relationship between U.S. soccer and Soccer United Marketing. And in fact, this week on the World Soccer Talk podcast, I began to uh, uh, express concern that I felt like the FA in England was beginning to go down the same road with the Premier League, which... Uh, in my mind, discriminates against the football league, right? Discriminates against the lower division. Same, same argument I made, uh, I made here about USL and, and NASL um, and NISA being discriminated against fact NASL has put that in their antitrust lawsuit. But I'm told by people that uh, U.S. soccer was pretty sweaty some years before that 2016 COPA about getting their checks from some every year for their, for their rights for their marketing and commercial rights and media rights. That that's how tight the margins were, that they actually needed that money from some. I still won't defend the deal because I think it created a horrible conflict of interest that that damaged the game in this country. But I'm told from a financial standpoint, it's something U.S. soccer needed, that their margins were really tight. And we're talking, the time period we're talking about is like 2011, 2012, 2013, um, before the 2016 COPPA, before. Uh, as qualification for the 2014 World Cup is going on, we had hosted the 2003 Women's World Cup. Um, but outside of gold Cups, we weren't hosting tournaments then we had, a period, we, had missed a, we missed a couple of Olympics in a row as you know. We missed uh, uh, one of the U, U20 World Cups I think it was 2011. There, there was a kind of a down period and the, the margins financially got tighter. Uh, and of course women's World cup in two thousand and eleven we had to go to a playoff to qualify even though we ended up getting to the final of the world cup. it was just still like there was more there was less revenue coming in, and they were really sweaty a couple of years about getting that check from some um, for the flat fee for the for for, 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 for their for the media and commercial rights uh, and that kept them going
0: So let me ask you this obviously with other parts of U.S. soccer going on. We all know during uh, the Open Cup, they're the ones that pays for all the games to be broadcasted through Televisa. And at the moment, ESPN only agreed upon to be the hosting partner to show these games. Now, CBS Sports has come into play here. And yes, even the TNT-Turner contract... To broadcast the u s men 's national team the women 's national team, which would be friendlies uh world cup home qualifiers nations league home qualifiers and on the and on the road as well, the group stage games i mean I apologize um, what does that mean for u s soccer now i mean don't they are they going to get finally some cash coming from Turner and from c b s now
1: yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, in fact, that deal, that deal has him, um, the, the Turner. I don't know the details of, of whatever deal's been made with CBS uh, on the Open Cup. I want to find out. I've been trying to do some reporting on that. I haven't found anything out yet. But in terms of uh, um, the Turner deal, the deal with Turner, uh, with uh, Warner Discovery, with, uh, which, uh, where games are shown on Turner and on HBO, um, they, um, that, that is a very good deal for U.S. soccer, it gets them more money than the thumb deal did, and it puts them in a position where they're, they're, they're pretty much safe from here on out. And it's an eight-year deal. This is just year one, so they've got that money reliably coming in through um, qualification for the 2030 World Cup. Um, actually, the deal runs through um, the, the year 2030, so they'll get the friendlies uh, leading into the 2030 World Cup also. So um, it's, a, it's, a, it's The kind of deal – so this is my contention about some of you. So I've just told you what people have told me in hindsight that U.S. Soccer needed that money from Soccer United Marketing because they were operating on tight margins 2011, 2012, 2013, I think are the three years that I've been told that this was was particularly of concern. Um, That effectively I had always made the point, okay, I get that. They needed that money from some, but if you put their rights on the open market, you will get more money for it than um, just taking a check from some and letting MLS keep most of the money. Because I believe the U.S. Um, the U.S. soccer rights, if you bundle the women and the men together, not don't split the packages, but bundle the men, men and women together, um, is worth more um, than the value that we're getting from what some was taking because. Cause, basically the, the majority of the money was staying with MLS or with Soccer United marketing, which is the same entity, uh, two different entities, but same owners, right? Same, same, uh, same uh, people. And I was correct, at least in terms of now. Now, I, I say in hindsight, I still believe they would have gotten more money out of the deal if they made deals. If Sunil Gulati had, had been willing to split with Soccer United marketing, which he was never going to do. Sunil was never going to split with MLS. You and I both know that. Cindy Cohn, a little more independent. Carlos Cordero, a little more independent. Um, They they both took the initiative, and and, and here we are. I think this vindicates my position, this deal they got with with TNT. Um, But there are still people who come back at me and say, well, now the the product is worth more. The U.S. women have won two World Cups in a row. That wasn't the case in 2011. In fact, we had gone three straight World Cups without winning one at that point. Germany were were the big power in the women's game." Uh, Although we were winning the Olympics in that period, let's not forget. But, yes, we we went three Women's World Cups without winning one. Um, That is true. And um, the men are in a a good place because they're going to host in 2026 and uh, have this this good generation of players. So um, I think I'm correct, and I think the Turner deal, the TNT deal, vindicates me, my position. But there were people who would argue otherwise and say, look, they needed some, they needed the money. And basically, we haven't had, to summarize, we haven't had a situation like Canada is in currently just because of that. So it it was close. There, There are tight margins when you're running a federation.
0: Very true, my last question for you is this because I know you have to get going you're as always the most popular uh, guy, whether it be in the u s or in england that's for sure. Uh, I, know <laughs> to to, to, to I know you have to go to to your talk I know you have to go your talk sport uh, spot tonight, but my final question to you is this talk me is a that bit of cousin, because... oh yeah, of course of course
1: absolutely yeah, get uh, ready for 23, that twenty three twenty three women clubs uh, were selected we're finalized today. We knew the England squad, we knew the U.S. squad, so those are the two squads we want to talk about. But anyway, go ahead.
0: Anyway, I I was going to say this. I mean, obviously this year, uh, the second finals, semis and finals of the CONCACAF Nations League, the CONCACAF Gold Cup, uh, next summer, it's the Copa America, and then, of course, another Nations League semis and final. Same thing in 2025 for, you know, whatever. And then the World Cup in 2026, another Gold Cup in Nations League 2027, the possibility of another of a Summer Olympics coming to the United States. Uh, U.S. soccer, uh, I, I think they're going to fill themselves up pretty well in the bank account through all these different tournaments coming on our shores.
1: Yeah, we might be looking at a 2027 Women's World Cup as well, um, potentially. Here, um, that might be overkill. I don't know what's uh, going to happen, but again, we haven't hosted since 2003, which was um, a, re- a you know a reassigned one from China, right? And then China got the host in 2007. Everything got pushed back one cycle. Germany, which was going to host in seven, ended up hosting in eleven. Um, in the the women's game, but it would be 24 years since we've hosted a women's world cup. We'll co-host with Mexico, probably. Um, If we do, that would add even more money. So if you're talking about 24, a Copa 26, I know the gold cup is, it happens, but that's not as big a deal. 24 Copa 25 world club cup, 26 world cup, uh, 27, potentially women's world cup, 28. You said maybe the Olympics, um, and obviously um, also potentially another Copa. Um, I mean, we're really going to be rolling in it. Now, my last point would be, Daniel, I think once U.S. soccer is showing big surpluses, they need to reinvest in the youth game. They need to say, Absolutely. okay, we're going to try and wipe out pay to play. They need to say, you know what, we're going to help uh, subsidize the U.S. Open Cup. We're going to subsidize teams' travels. We're going to make it easier for adult amateur teams and lower division professional teams to, to take this tournament seriously. We might even set up a, a fund to help lower division teams finance soccer-specific stadiums. That's the kind of thing U.S. soccer needs to be doing after all these tournaments are done and they have all the cash in the bank.
0: Exactly. And that's the most important thing right there, Karik. As you said, as I've always said, soccer specific stadiums helps this game grow. Some are going to you know, dis, uh, discount it, but that's not true. It's a part of what needs to happen, that one day it's going to happen that all of our professional leagues will be together as one, that promotional relegation can happen in the United States. Cardick, thank you and, as and always Andrew, for joining la- la- me tonight. Last thing, mm-hmm. la- la- last thing
1: yep. before I run, uh, just in case uh, your listeners haven't seen the news from, reported by The Athletic. Um, and this, this kind of confirms where I was going. I didn't get to break the story. Uh, although I was, yeah, I was a few days away potentially from breaking it. USL really, uh, take seriously or close to, to putting this to a vote of their owners to go to, pro, to, to set up for a within their. I, my understanding uh, is it would be within, um, the championship in we One. I don't think week two is, is ready quite yet, but, um, that's the sort of thing where if you're going to do Pro-REL, which I'm all for, you've got to have soccer-specific stadiums. So, um, exactly. I, I think these things are all connected. Once you have teams in their own stadiums and they're controlling the revenues, they're controlling the dates, you can have uh, – same thing for MLS, right? I'm quite frankly disappointed by the number of MLS teams now sharing uh, their stadiums with NFL teams. This wasn't a problem 10 years ago, actually. Everybody seemed to have a stadium. No. And then once they let New York City FC fly, then, you know, everybody
0: got to fly after that. Um, Exactly. Topic for another day. Exactly. That's another topic for another day, absolutely. But, no, I agree with you. And, uh, you know, that's the hope to make this sport move forward and be more respected not only within but the rest of the world. As always, Kardec, thank you for your time, and I will talk to you again soon. I'll talk to you soon. All right, Carter, Chris, World Soccer Talk and Beyond the Ninety at Substack dot com. Uh, join me there as well. I've been writing uh, for him as well over there, and it's been uh, a fun time uh, writing articles there at Beyond the Ninety at Substack dot com. So um, it, it's a lot of fun there, as I've already said, and uh, can't wait to write another article. I've already written another article. It's over there. Uh, head on over once again to and I'm hope I'm saying it correctly, beyondthe90.substack.com. That's what it is, beyondthe90.substack.com. Get ready for some uh, more articles written about the game, not only in the United States, but from around the world as well, including in Europe. Um, time to talk about the New York Red Bulls, a 2-1 victory over the New England Revolution. Now, the New York Red Bulls deserved the victory. Great goals by both Frankie Amaya and Wiki Carmona, putting themselves in good graces, not only with Troy Lassane, but with the Red Bull supporters. And now seeing this team performing much, much better under Troy Lassane. He has done an amazing job. Still some things that need to be worked out, but they are playing better and they are producing results much better. They're going to have a tough one on this coming Wednesday night at home against FC Cincinnati. Of course, they lost to them in the fifth round of the open cup this past June, but hopefully they'll get three points and uh, keep rolling. Uh, They are right now tied for that ninth position in the Eastern conference. So another win, and they'll probably, hopefully depending on certain results from certain teams will be over the playoff line and get back into the positive ledger of the Eastern Conference table, uh, Dante Van Zier, cross from him, along the nearest. Uh, excuse me, along the far side, and we. Uh, excuse me, Frankie Amaya le- leaps up in the air and makes a nice snap header, uh, and then after that, Latif Blessing, straight red card on a terrible, terrible tackle. Studs up, caught Amaya in the groin area, and properly punished. Red card, head back to the showers you will be suspended for your next match. And uh, then, unfortunately, um, they are poor defensively at the set-piece area, especially by the corner, as Brandon Bay gets that equalizer to make it 1-1. But then again, uh, poor decision by Petrovic, the goalkeeper for the Revolution, gives up the ball very, very easily to the New York Red Bulls. And a nice quick cross uh, to Wiki Carmona. And even though it was deflected, the ball was going into the back of the net no matter what, and he nails a rifle shot to make it 2-1, beats Petrovic, and that's how the match ended. But once again, controversy comes in the way of VAR and Pro, and just once again, it just never ends. But this time, it went against the revolution and it went for the Red Bulls. Uh, Revolution gets a corner in second half stoppage time. The ball was delivered, and uh, there was a stop. Attempted clear, and still a big area. Players mixing with them, with, mixing within themselves inside the Red Bull area. Andrew Farrell took a big rip, and somehow got through everybody. Beats Carlos Coronel. It hit the inside of the near post and into the net. At the time, everyone thought 2-2 two, two, draw. And that the Revolution were going to take a point away in this match. VAR comes calling. And the referee goes to the monitor. And if you watch the replay, you saw at the time... There was a player in an offside position behind the group, meaning both Red Bull players and Revolution players, behind the scrum. And then the ball goes in to the net, and the referee is saying, no goal. It was deemed to be offside. Some want to say blocking the line of sight uh, to the keeper. Possibility, okay, they continued on, and then the final whistle blew, and it ended, Rebels win 2-1. Now we're understanding that the ball might have deflected off of Tom Barlow and changed directions to go into the net, off of the near post, off the inside of the near post, and into the back of the net. Now, there is that rule or that law I should say and this actually benefited the Red Bulls in the playoffs back in 2014 when they were on the road in New England for the second leg of the playoffs of the of the conference final where Peggy Llandula converted a goal because even though he was in an offside position Andrew Farrell tried to defend that ball that was coming across in here landed on him, the fleck of him, which meant offsides resets. So Luyendula was not offside, and he converted the chance to make it at that time 2-2 on aggregate. And once again, in this situation, is that what they were looking for? Because if there was a touch on Tom Barlow, it was probably so small of a touch, they didn't see it. I didn't see it on the monitors in the press box at Red Bull Arena. It was really tough to see. But if it did touch Tom Barlow first, look, it's a mistake. It's an error. It's a big error. And it's just really, really tough to see what happened there. And here is the official ruling from Pro on the situation, and this is what they've said. During the MLS match between New York Red Bulls and New England Revolution on July 8th, an officiating error was made in the third minute of additional time at the end of the second half when the match officials incorrectly disallowed a goal. A goal was scored by New England's Andrew Farrell. New England's Giacomo Veroni was standing in an offside position between Farrell and the New York Rebels goalkeeper, Carlos Coronel. As the ball came close to New York's Tom Barlow, he reached out and deflected the ball, causing Coronel to miss the ball into the goal the VAR reviewed the angles and did not see the ball deflect and thought the goalkeeper was impacted by Veroni in the offside position he therefore recommended an on-field review the referee who also did not see this deflection accepted the review and the goal was disallowed pro acknowledges hang on pro acknowledges that an error was made and the goal should have been allowed well you know what Let me say this. How many times have the Red Bulls been impacted by very poor VAR and officiating as well? We can count the amount of times where Omir Fernandez was taken out in the area in Chicago, and yet the penalty was not awarded to him. He got called for simulation when he was truly taken down. We can also say the two times two Red Bull players in Charlotte, North Carolina, where studs-up challenge should have been red-carded or VAR-reviewed, they were not on either case, and then a thrown elbow against Cameron Harper's head where it only gotten a the yellow – that should have been reviewed and said change the color to a red on the card that did not happen or a possible penalty to the red bulls when the philadelphia union handballed in their area and they said no handball there for a penalty and then Carranza somewhat gets taken down in the red bulls area they called the penalty Gets reviewed, sticks with the penalty call, and once again, more stupidity going on. You know, I'm sorry, New England, that you got screwed out of point out of this. You know, guess what? The Red Bulls have been screwed more. And so far? That is only the second VAR call that has gone for them in this situation. But once again, ever since Howard Webb left, pro-referees organization, or pro-referee, however you're calling it, pro-referees, professional referees organization, once again, uh, you know, look, I'm only saying this, I know this is the Red Bull section of the show, but I have to say this, not just for the Red Bulls, but for all the clubs in MLS that are being impacted by poor officiating. Once again, Mark Geiger, the general manager of Pro, Nick Grimavera, the chief executive officer of Pro, and Joe Fletcher, the chief refereeing officer, and he is employed by Pro Canada because, once again, Pro handles U.S. Soccer and MLS and USL for all those clubs playing for the CSA in Canada and for the U.S. Soccer Federation here in the United States. Once again, these are the men that are running and teaching these referees and the video assistant referees what to do during these moments when there is any doubt. And if you're not going to do your jobs properly, well, guess what? Get in shape. Rework the situation and help these referees both on the pitch and in the VAR war room in Atlanta. Have them learn the thing again. You want to get the job done correctly? You want the calls to be correct? Guess what? So do we. And now the big question comes to this. How many situations through VAR have there been a problem? Will all of a sudden, are we going to have FIFA make changes to the laws of the game, depending on what happens with VAR, and will matches now be officially be replayed because of a referee error, now a VAR error? I don't know. I really don't know. But it's going to get messy and messy and messy. No, not him. But it's going to get very, very sticky with these situations, and it's just not good. It's just not good. And I'm not happy about it. But what I'm happy about for the New York Red Bulls is that they are... Elves out of the hole that they got started in 2023. And as of right now, as of right now in the Eastern Conference, they're taking on the top dogs in FC Cincinnati. They are the shield leaders right now with 45 points. They are tied for that ninth spot with Montreal at the moment in ninth. The Red Bulls are in tenth. Chicago is in 11th, Charlotte in 12th, NYCFC in 13th. They are, all five of these clubs are breaking away from both Toronto and Miami. And I'm telling you right now, if the New York Red Bulls find a way to continue to climb the excuse me to climb out of the hole that they've dug themselves into. Right now, they are gracing the edge of the hole. They are their their feet, their toes, are on the edge of the hole. Two more matches to go, and if they can get a victory over Cincinnati. And then go on the road to Sandy, Utah, to take on Real Salt Lake. They get a win there, and then they go into the League's Cup situation. The Red Bulls right now are looking pretty darn good, and that means maybe maybe they don't uh, catch Cincinnati, maybe they don't catch Nashville. They may catch New England. They may catch Atlanta, they may catch Philly, and they may catch Orlando. Uh, Definitely they can catch D.C. United, keeping situations not that strong either. But definitely they have an opportunity to become a playoff team once again. Plenty of matches left to go. Once again, two more games before the League's Cup break, and we'll see what happens uh, when they go out there and uh, try and get a victory at home on Wednesday night and a road hopefully a road result in Salt Lake City at Real Salt Lake. You can watch all of your Red Bull games on the Apple Season Plus package through MLS and through Apple TV, uh, tv.apple.com. I want to thank my guests tonight. I want to thank Carter Krishnire from World Soccer Talk, and of course, Dwayne Rollins, 24th Minute Blog. My name is Daniel Forrestin. Join me on Thursday night to review the semifinals of the 2023 CONCACAF Gold Cup and against Panama, and the MPSL Soccer Show will be this Friday night, 8 o'clock Eastern, 5 o'clock Pacific. Once again, my name is Daniel Feuerstein. Thank you very much for listening to me tonight. And as always, please enjoy your football. Thank you. Take care so long and bye-bye for now.